All right. My name is Dave Davis. I'm one of the elders here at Eastern Life Church. See, at Eastern Life Church, we believe in the leadership of the elders of the church. We have our, our pastor, Brian Anderson, who has, over the past, what's it been, about 15, 16 years, cast the vision for this church. And over the last few years, he kind of realized he can't do this on his own. And he was never meant to do this on his own. And so we have a team of elders here who lead together. We've got Pastor Blake and myself and B.J. Lampley and Bernie Calgill and Brian Comer and our pastor, Brian Anderson. And we lead together. And it's my privilege to be part of that and, and to get to, to preach with you all this morning. I love to play the bass guitar and sing very loudly and usually very off key. That's why they keep me back there. And I keep myself back there for your sakes. If I'm ever standing behind you while we're singing, I just apologize for that in advance. So we're going to do communion this morning, as you have probably gathered, because we've told you that like two or three times now. But we're going to be doing communion, and we're going to open up to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to read from the scriptures. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to give you a second to do that. And I'll ask the same question I asked last night. Does anybody ever like to watch like the director's cuts or extended cuts of movies? I know Tim does. I know he's got a few that he really loves. A couple other people out here. I'm a big Lord of the Rings guy. Anybody else like Lord of the Rings? All right, a few more hands than last night. That's good. That's good to hear. See, Blake, people like Lord of the Rings. But I have not yet brought myself to watch the extended editions, mainly because I just don't have it in me to sit in one place for three and a half to four hours. My attention span just can't handle it anymore. I mean, I love reading the books, but I can only read for like half an hour to an hour at a time. So I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. So as, as a young Christian reading the Bible for the first time, I'm reading through the New Testament, and I, I read Matthew, and I get to the communion story, and I'm like, man, that's so cool. You know, anyone who's been in church for any amount of time, you've heard the communion story. Jesus, you know, takes the, the bread and the wine, and he breaks the bread, and he passes the wine and tells him, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. And then you read it again in Mark, and it's pretty much the exact same thing word for word. And then you get to Luke, and there's like a whole another like two or three paragraphs. And I'm like, Luke just gave us like the extended edition director's cut here. <laughs> like, Matthew and Mark were like kind of trimming the fat, like, okay, we got a point to make, and we're going to get to it. we got to get straight to the audience here. But Luke's like, no, I'm going to give you the whole thing. So that was my joke. That's the best I got. I'm sorry. Anyway, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 14, says, When the hour came... Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hang on to that word, everybody. Remembrance. Hang on to that word. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray real quick. Father, we pray that you speak to us through your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to our hearts, that you would bring to our remembrance the words that you've spoken and that you would teach us the meaning of them. God, teach me the meaning. Help me to speak right now. And we just pray that your son would be lifted up tonight in his name. Amen. Remembrance. That's the word I want you all to remember. That should be pretty easy. Can you remember the word remember? Easy enough? 
What word are we going to remember? Easy. All right. Communion is a time to remember. You see, God cares very much about us remembering things, which is very hard for me sometimes. Again, the attention span problems. Just ask my wife. I forget things a lot. She'll say, don't you remember we just talked about this on Tuesday? And I'll say, honey, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sure nobody else struggles with that, but that's me. That's my confession time. I have a hard time remembering. And so some people, again, like my wife, make lists to help them remember. Do we have any list makers here? Got a few list makers. She's got lists like all over the house. There used to be like this long little sticky note thing I had every day of the week on the fridge. And I mean, every single day of the week would have a list on it. There was a list of lists. She has a list on her phone. She has things marked on the calendar. But she remembers things, for the most part, because she keeps a list. So God has often, in the same way, given us ways to remember. Let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. He says, remember, there's that word again. Say, remember. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, now church, what does it mean when you see the word therefore in a scripture? You got to see what it's there for. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So he wants you to observe the Sabbath. And what's that there for? To remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand. God has always been in the business of giving us things to remember and giving us ways to remember them. In fact, I was looking yesterday as I was kind of studying for this, going through, I was using some Bible software, and I just searched the word remember. And I looked down the list, and I kind of like filtered out all the times, you know, God was talking about him remembering, because there's a lot of that too. In fact, the, just the word remember itself, when I searched it, had over 200 hits in the Bible. Many of them saying that God would remember. Many of them, God's people asking him to remember. But commands, God telling us to remember, there was over 40 of those. And that's just the word remember. That doesn't count all the times he says, hey, don't forget. So I didn't even count those. So I don't know how many times, but it's probably well over 50 or 60 times God wants us to remember something. You see, Israel's downfall ultimately was their failure to remember. Israel failed to remember God's promises. They failed to remember God's commands. They failed to remember God. And if you read through the Old Testament prophets over and over, as God is laying out his indictments against Israel, you know, he tells them, here's the things you've done wrong. You've You've done things like sacrifice your children. You've done things like rob your neighbors. You've done things like oppress the poor. And he lists out all these charges. But the number one thing he comes back to over and over and over again is you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. You have committed adultery with these other gods. When he was speaking to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 17, he says, you have forgotten God your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. 
Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them out, you make them grow, and on the morning when you plant them, you bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. He's telling them, you work so hard thinking you've got everything figured out, but you've forgotten me, and in the end, it's all going to waste away because you've forgotten me. You have not remembered me. I was reading this week in, in Exodus when God did rescue the Israelites out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt. How many of you remember the stories of the plagues? How many of you have, have read that at some point or seen it, you know, maybe in a movie or you've just heard about it? God does all these amazing miracles, brings plagues on Egypt, you know, the, the, the water into blood and the, the flies and frogs and all this crazy stuff and, and the plague of death finally at the end. And God brings them out of Egypt. And the first thing that happens after they get out of Egypt, get out into the wilderness, Moses goes up on the mountain, and the Israelites go, you know, Moses has been gone for a while. What God were we supposed to follow? Who was it that brought us out of Egypt? And, and they go to Moses' brother, Aaron, and they say, hey, what are we supposed to do now? And Aaron tells them, take off your gold earrings and your gold jewelry, the gold that God had given them from the Egyptians as they left Egypt. And they melted it all down and made a golden calf out of it to worship. And they're like, oh, yeah, this one. This is the God right here. This God rescued us from Egypt. In so short a time, it took them less than two months, less than two months to forget what God had just done. God does not want us to forget, so he gives us ways to remember. And God wants us to remember Christ in communion. He wants us to remember Christ in communion. See, just like how God throughout the Old Testament would say, so that you don't forget, obey this law and do this thing so that you don't forget. I mean, they even had things that would like hang off their clothes just so that they would look at it and say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to look at that and remember God's word. Jesus says, do this to remember me. And I understand that many of us may understand that more deeply than others. I don't know your background. You may not be familiar with this idea of remembering Christ in communion. You see, communion was a feast where Jesus sat at the table with his disciples, with his followers, the very night before he died. It was the very night before he died, and he was fulfilling, and actually they were celebrating at the time, they didn't call this dinner communion. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, we're going to sit down and take communion. The dinner they were actually eating was a feast that had been instituted years and years and years earlier called Passover. And Passover was instituted, as Dave has talked about this morning, in Egypt for the Israelites while they were in slavery. They had been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And God had decided, hey, now is the time I'm going to rescue you from slavery. And God had sent Moses to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and Moses had commanded over and over, let these people go. And Pharaoh had hardened his heart, and he wouldn't let them go. And God, in response to that, would send plagues. He would send all these different things that would happen as a consequence of Pharaoh's stubbornness and the refusal to let these people go. Well, finally God said, hey, I'm sending the last plague upon the camp of Egypt. And this plague is going to be the worst one, and this is going to be the one that's going to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And this plague was death. God said, 
at night while everybody sleeps. The death angel is going to pass through Egypt and the firstborn in every house is going to die. Now what's interesting is that Israel had up until this point been exempt from the plagues. All the trouble that had come upon Egypt had not come upon them. But this one, God said, was different. He said, listen, this one is going to happen to you too, but I'm going to give you an out. I'm going to give you reprieve. I'm going to give you a way that death will not come upon your children as it will the children of Egypt. And he instituted for them a meal called Passover. And in this meal, the Israelites were to take a newborn lamb less than a year old it had to be spotless and perfect they would break its body and they would shed its blood and at this Passover meal they would take the broken body of the lamb and they would cook it and they would consume it and then they would take the blood of the lamb and they would spread it over the doorpost of their home and when the death angel would come through Egypt that night the angel would see the blood of the lamb applied to the home and the the angel would pass over that house and the children inside would be safe And this was the feast that they celebrated yearly in Israel. And this is the night that Jesus sat down at the table with his disciples. It was to celebrate Passover. Because Jesus was really the fulfillment of Passover. He was the Passover lamb. If you know Jesus is your Savior, when you take that bread, that broken body of Christ, as he said, he broke the bread and he presented it to them and he said, this is my body. Literally what you're doing is you are breaking the body of the perfect spotless lamb once and for all time. And when the blood of Jesus came down on that cross and it was applied, church, the consequences of death for our sin no longer applied to those who've had the blood applied to our hearts. Jesus was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. But if you think about the people of Israel, after they had been rescued from Egypt, all throughout history, God had instituted all of these rules that had to do with their sin. If you read through the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, what you find is that when an Israelite person would commit sin, the consequences of that sin is that a perfect animal had to die and the blood had to be shed in their place. Now think about this today. We don't live like this today because we are under what Jesus instituted at this communion table. He called it the new covenant. And in the new covenant, his blood was going to be sufficient for all time for every sin we could ever commit. We would never have to shed the blood of an innocent animal again because Jesus Christ's blood had been shed once and for all. But if you were an Israelite in the Old Testament days and every time you sinned, you were acutely aware of it because you realized, man, that sin that I just committed, I've got to pay for that with the blood of an animal that I've paid for and that I've raised. And there was a cost associated with that. So this idea of remembrance, Jesus comes to the table and says, listen, we do this in remembrance of me because it's going to be easy for you to forget this. Jesus knew that you and I were going to live under a covenant by which His blood would cover all of our sin. But church, isn't it easy to go through life and to sin, to have a sinful thought or a sinful impulse and to act upon that temptation and to sin and to say something we shouldn't or do something we shouldn't and just go, oh well, you know, Jesus already died, so no big deal. No problem. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, so I don't have to think about my sin. I don't have to worry about my sin. The truth is... That type of attitude is actually taking advantage of the blood that Jesus shed for us. We were never intended to think flippantly or passively about our sin. Amen? 
And nobody wants to come to church to be made to feel guilty. And it is definitely not my intention or any of our leadership's intention to stand up here and say, hey, you're a bad person, you're guilty, you're condemned. We're here to bring you good news. The good news is that even though you and I are guilty, we are made innocent by the blood of Jesus if the blood has been applied to our life. You say, well, how can I apply the blood to my life? We do that by repenting of our sin. We do that by recognizing that in my life there are sin patterns and sin problems. There are failures. Sin literally means in its original form, it just means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. The mark that God is looking for, God's standard for his people is Jesus Christ. And he set the standard for us. So you may be in this place to say, today and say, you know what, I'm not that bad. I don't really have a lot of stuff I need to repent for, that I need to turn away from, that I need to be sorry for, that I need to think about, and that I need to really give to Christ and be grateful for Christ and remember Christ. The truth is, unless any of us come in here today with a life just like Jesus, none of us measure up. None of us measure up. If you're a person who's never come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus as your Savior, there would be no better day to do that than the day that we gather at the Lord's table as the church and for the first time to come to this table and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. There's sin in my life. And today, I want to repent of my sins. The word repent literally just means to turn. It means to turn away. It means that we're going one direction in a direction of sin, and we say, you know what? This is wrong. I'm going this way towards Jesus. That's all it means. We repent of our sins, we agree with God that it's sinful, and we run towards Him, and we ask Him to forgive us. Or maybe you're a Christian in this place today, and you say, you know what, I remember that Jesus died for me, but that remembrance doesn't always play out in my everyday life. It's easy to think passively or flippantly about my sin. You see, communion is a time to remember, but it's also a time to repent. Look at what the Scripture says. Paul says this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 um, through 29. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, and that's what we're going to do this morning in communion. We're going to eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord. Listen to what he says here. I'm not going to have to do much preaching here because this scripture is going to do it for me. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Think about that. He isn't saying that whoever does this in an unworthy manner should really think about it. If you're coming to this table and you're taking the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner, um, you should really consider this or, you know what, you should be ashamed of yourself. He says that you are guilty and I am guilty. If I come to this table this morning and I take this in a manner that says, you know what, Jesus, it's not that important to me that you died. It doesn't really affect my life. Jesus, I'm able to sin and do what I want and live how I want and make the decisions I want to make that have my best interest in mind. And I don't really have to think about you because I know you've already died, so all my sins are paid for, so I can just live how I want. And I don't really have to take this seriously, and I don't really have to consider deeply the implications that when you hung on that cross and bled, that that blood was shed for me. That should have been my blood on that cross. That should have been my body on that cross. And even if it was, it wouldn't have been sufficient to forgive me because before a holy God, I don't even come close to measuring up to the standard of Jesus. Not even close. The Bible says that if we approach this table like that in a manner where we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, yeah, whatever, yeah, Jesus died. It's not going to affect me on Monday. 
not going to affect me on Tuesday or Wednesday, not going to change my life, not going to change my direction, not going to repent. It says if we do this in a manner like that, we are guilty of the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Church, I don't want that on my record. I don't want to come before God and God say, you're guilty of the body and the blood of my son. You say, well, pastor, this sounds really serious. This sounds really dark and dire. I just want to tell you what the scripture says. I'm not here to bring you bad news. I'm just here to bring you the word of God. And the word of God says if we take this in an unworthy manner, that we're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But it says, here's what we do. You say, I don't want that on my conscience. I don't want that on me. Here's what we do. The Bible gives us the solution and the answer, and all of us can do this today. It says in verse 28, a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So here's the solution. Communion is a time to repent. I got good news this morning. The Bible says that when we confess our sin, every time we confess it, and it gives no disclaimers, you say, well, my sin is really bad. You don't know what I've done. The Bible gives no disclaimers. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, there's a lot of sin in my life to confess, but I just went in before God and I asked him to forgive me and to cleanse me, don't you let the devil whisper in your ear that that isn't enough. Don't you believe your flesh that tells you you're too bad for this to apply to you. The Bible says that he will never turn away a repentant heart. You go in before God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I want to turn from my wicked ways and I want to follow you. He will always receive you. He will always accept you because church, he loves us and he loves you and he always receives us. Communion's a time to remember. Communion's a time to repent. And it's a time to rejoice. Communion is a time to rejoice. Let's put the scripture up there. Communion's a time to rejoice. When Israel was led through the Red Sea and they turned around as the waters had been parted, the day after that Passover meal, and they turned around and they watched as their enemies chased them through the Red Sea and God dropped the water on top of them and God destroyed their enemies. And for the first time in 400 years, they were free. Church, I can imagine there was a worship service on the banks of the Red Sea that morning. I can imagine they were celebrating and rejoicing. This morning, we can rejoice because the sin that we carry and the sin that we commit because of the blood of Jesus we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats we don't have to walk around guilty and condemned we don't have to try to live by our own willpower thinking okay this week will be better than last week this week I'm going to do things right we can live in freedom knowing that the Spirit's going to do the work in our lives and all we have to do is be obedient to Him it says in Hebrews 9.22 that under the old law before Jesus instituted this new covenant communion, it said almost all things are cleansed with blood according to the law. And there is no shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to this table with his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. He was declaring himself the Passover lamb. And look what it says in Ephesians 1.7. It says, in Jesus, we have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Church, communion is a time to celebrate we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven and made whole. Amen? It's a time to rejoice. It is a time to rejoice. We rejoice because we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. We rejoice because we've been forgiven. But there's another reason we rejoice. Check this out. We rejoice for another reason. And Jesus gives us a sneak peek of this in this communion dinner. He says that when the hour came and the apostles reclined at the table, Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you in verse 16, check out what he says. He says, I will not eat this again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm going to do this with you tonight, but I'm not going to do this again with you in person until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So what Jesus was saying is that there's a day coming when he's going to do this again. Jesus is going to sit down at a table with us again, and he's going to do this. And we get a picture of this in the book of Revelation. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, who was sitting at this table with Jesus in Luke 22, the night before Jesus died, the Apostle John, years and years later, as an old man, Jesus has already risen again, he's ascended into heaven, and John has spent his whole life preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now John is an old man. He's been punished for his faith and condemned to live on an island by himself. And as John is on this island... He receives a vision from an angel. God sends an angel and this angel gives John this vision. And this vision John has is a vision of the future. It's a vision of events that, are not yet to, that have not yet come, but they are to come in the kingdom of heaven when everything has been finished and fulfilled. So I want you to think about this for a second. Because when John has this vision of heaven, he is seeing the future. We agree with that? Not just a version of some possible future. He is seeing the future settled. What that means is, is that as John has this vision of heaven, if you are a Christian in this building today, you were in this vision that John has of heaven. Think about that. Your future that you've not yet experienced, John saw it in the past, years and years ago before we were born. And if you're a Christian this morning, you and I were in this vision. John hears in Revelation. He says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. That's us. And the global church, all those saved all throughout time. He says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Church, that was us singing hallelujah for the Lord our God Almighty reigns that day. That's our future. And then we say, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Church, that's me and you in the future in heaven when Jesus has made all things right and we've been reunited with our Savior and we are reunited with those loved ones who have gone before and are now in heaven. That's us together saying, hey, the time has come. We're ready. Let's find this fulfillment in the kingdom. It says in verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself. That's us with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this, write this down. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, we rejoice this morning because we're blessed. Because in spite of the messed up lives we've lived, Jesus still looks us in the eye and says, come to my table and eat with me. Come and sit down with me. You say, God, I'm guilty. God, I'm screwed up. God, I'm messed up. My life is a wreck. God, I'm a person of little faith. God, I'm a person who struggles every single day. God, I'm tempted every day. God, I fail and I blow it every day. God, you don't want me at your table. But yet the Bible says that it was granted to us to sit down at that table. Jesus says, you don't have to be good. I was good. I was good for you. You say, God, I deserve death for my sin. You don't have to die because I died for you. God, I can't live eternally. I live eternally on your behalf, and you have the same life that I have, and I've given it to you. Jesus said, we are invited to this marriage supper, and he said, these are the true words of God. Church, we rejoice because there's a day coming when we're going to sit down at this table with Jesus. We're going to sit down at this table. And to your right and to your left are going to be some of the people that you're sitting in this church building with today. And there's going to be the family members and dear friends that pass that you miss dearly right now. They're going to be there with you. And all the problems and all the sin and all the weight and all the sadness and all the guilt and all the shame and all the brokenness that you struggle with every day, the Bible said Jesus will have already put an end to that. In the sadness that we live with today in this broken world, he said that Jesus himself is going to wipe every tear from our eye and there won't be any of that in that place. We're going to sit down and it won't be grief, sadness, shame. We're going to sit down and we're going to rejoice at this table. And Jesus himself is going to do what he says he looks forward to. He's going to break bread and he's going to serve us at his table in his kingdom. Church, we rejoice in communion because we have a future to look forward to. Amen? As Jesus sat down, it says he took bread and he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God who the very next day was going to turn his back on him as he hung on the cross for all of our sin. He thanked God for that bread and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. Church, this bread that you hold in your hands is symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ gave up his body in one of the most painful ways a man can die. He gave up his body. It wasn't taken from him. It wasn't an accident. Jesus laid himself on the cross and outstretched his hands. And he was broken so that you and I don't have to live broken lives. And we don't have to die in our brokenness. Anybody got brokenness in the room today, in your life today? You don't have to raise your hand and answer that, but let me ask you. You got brokenness in your life. You got brokenness in your home. You got brokenness in your heart. Jesus says, my body was broken. This bread is my body and it's broken for you. Church, we can put our brokenness and our failure on Jesus this morning. And he grants it to us to come sit at this table with him. This bread is a picture of his body that was given for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is a symbol of the price that was paid so that we could have that freedom. He said, when we eat this, we do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat.
just like at the first Passover, when the Israelites ate the body of the lamb and the blood was applied to them, death passed over them. Jesus looking at his disciples, breaking the bread, picturing his broken body less than 24 hours to come, and looking at the at the wine that he passed to them and the, the deep red color of it, picturing his blood that was about to be poured out, telling them, this is for you. Eat the body, apply the blood, and death is going to pass over you in this new covenant that I have made with you that will no longer be about animal sacrifices and, and keeping the law. It's going to be based on my grace and my blood. Church, we've taken the body. Let's take the blood. Let's apply it. And let's live in that grace that he has given us.